everybody. Thanks for uh, coming on and watching our Bible study and devotion and prayer time this evening. Uh, I'll just say ahead of time, we've had some pretty bad storms here the last few minutes. So if uh, I kick off uh, here off a line, then I'll see you on Sunday or back online the next time. Uh, but hopefully not. It seems like the worst has passed. Uh, we are going to study tonight again in Psalms and Psalm 143. But before I pray, I just want to mention that we sent out a prayer guide today to cover the next 40 days. It is a daily bread devotional material resource with a very simple listing of the scripture along with uh, some reflection that you can include on your own. And if you didn't happen to get that email, I'm going to post the link to the download um, when we post this message so that you'll be able to follow along if you would like to. But it'll be 40 days of prayer from now until the end of August, starting tomorrow, and also including a Tuesday time of fasting that we have practiced periodically. And uh, we're going to do that as well, and I hope that that will be an encouragement to you and uh, an additional spiritual focus, uh, spiritual devotion opportunity as we move forward here in these coming weeks. I want to go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll get into our Bible study here for the next few minutes. Gracious God, we thank you for the privilege we have to know you and to walk with you by faith. We're grateful for the day and what we've been able to get accomplished, and Lord, for your grace that sustains us. Uh, Lord, forgive us where we have failed you. Uh, we want to be faithful servants. And we ask you tonight that uh, you would comfort those who are grieving. There are several in our church family that have lost family members. And Lord, uh, we pray that your Holy Spirit would bring comfort and strength to them during this time of loss and watch over them in a special way. We thank you, Lord, for the continued health that you have given us. And we're grateful for the Sunday opportunities when we've been able to come together and uh, folks being able to engage online. And Lord, we ask that you would give us encouragement and perseverance and a spirit of hope and uh, just an optimism, Lord, because of who you are. And we ask that you'd be glorified and honored in our lives, especially tonight as we continue to think about prayer and the privilege that we have to come before the throne of grace. And we pray your blessings on our time together, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 143 is our text. If you have a copy of God's Word, I'd invite you to follow along with me. The message tonight is entitled, Hear My Prayer. We have another lesson on prayer from the Psalms. Psalm 143 is similar to Psalm 142. Um, it's the last of what the church called for hundreds of years uh, the penitential psalms, meaning that they are to be read with a prominent theme of our need for God as well as our guilt and understanding of our condition before God and our dependence on Him. You've probably heard the statement by A.J. Gordon from many years in the past where he said, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. David is again teaching us how to pray, how to believe, and how to respond, specifically when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances. He bases his whole hope on the character of God on the one hand, 
and the covenant of God with his people on the other hand. The lesson on prayer teaches us how to face life's difficulties while bringing those to the Lord. And embodied in this one psalm are somewhere around 15 specific prayer requests. The pattern is very plain. A difficulty has arisen. There's the prayer from the psalmist. God answers the prayer of the psalmist, and then the psalmist praises God. So if we were to apply that template or that framework for prayer in our own lives, it would be that we have a time of difficulty. We pray and we communicate our need to God. God answers the prayer, and then we give praise to God for what he has done. Now, you know as well as I do that people respond to difficulties in life in any number of ways. Some people get mad at God. Their faith is shallow. They can't see beyond the immediate circumstance. And as a result of that, they draw back from God and the things of God. Other people don't necessarily get mad at God, but they do get discouraged. And they permit that discouragement to draw them away from the Lord so that they withdraw from the things of God. And then many of us, uh, even we are likely guilty of this one, we turn to our own solutions when troubles come. We try to solve our own problems. We try to rescue ourselves from our own situation. And we want to be careful of each of these unbiblical responses to difficulties when they come. Now, Jesus warned in the parable of the soils that two of the four types of soils specifically would not produce fruit specifically because of the trials of life. The seed that's grown on the rocky soil received the word with joy, but when trouble came, it fell away. The seed that was sown among thorns, which represent the worries of this world, the deceitfulness of uh, riches and also the desire for the things of the world chokes out the word and keeps it from being fruitful. So there are two statements in this psalm that I think reveal the relationship between people and God. And these are the two statements. You are my God. I am your servant. You are my God. I am am your servant. Now, we don't know the specific uh, details of the circumstances in Psalm 143, but we know David was in the middle of trouble. He needed God's help. And whatever circumstance you find yourself in, if you're in trouble presently, whether it be your health or your finances or your family or a difficult relationship that you're in, or perhaps even a sinful situation that you've not found victory over, prayer will help. This psalm is divided into two halves, uh, basically, that are divided by the notation Selah that we've discussed, which is sort of a division within the psalms, uh, maybe a musical score even. Uh, the first six verses present the problem to the Lord, and then verses 7 through 12 uh, present the problem by repeatedly crying out to the Lord. So let's read the psalm beginning in verse 1. He says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. 
In your faithfulness, answer me, and in your righteousness. Do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no one living is righteous. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in darkness like those who have been long dead. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is distressed. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse on the work of your hands. I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. And then you see the division there, uh, Selah. Now verse 7. Answer me speedily, O Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, lest I be like those who go down into the pit. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk, for I lift up my soul to you. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. In you I take shelter. Teach me to do your will. For you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake. For your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. In your mercy, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul. For I am your servant. First idea that I want you to see here in Psalm 143 is that knowing and serving God does not exempt us from difficulties. We don't get a pass just because we're children of God. We live in a sin-fallen world, and David was a servant of God who's described in the Scripture as a man after God's own heart. Yet we find him time and again pushed to what I think is the brink, sort of the edge of his ability to hold on, at times, he's even despairing of life itself. Saul uh, was coming after him. David thought that he was going to kill him. David said to Jonathan in 1 Samuel 20 and verse 3, there is hardly a step between me and death. He was in a desperate circumstance. He says, the enemy has persecuted my soul. Verse 3, he's crushed my life to the ground. He's made me to dwell in darkness like those who have long been dead. And I think these are words of distress that can apply to our life situations as well. Now, you might note that this is the exact opposite of what uh, the prosperity gospel teaches. The prosperity gospel are also commonly known as the health and wealth gospel, teaches that financial blessing and physical well-being are always the will of God for believers and that faith coupled with positive speech speaking it into being will always result in health and wealth the emphasis is on personal empowerment visualization positive confession and of course there's always a tie-in with sending the money whoever it is that's telling you this is the right theology to follow. Nothing could be further from the truth from a biblical perspective. We know that uh, life is short. The uh, sparks fly upward, as Job said, and the days of man are brief. And in the New Testament, when we see the example of the Apostle Paul, he writes about the difficulties that he experienced and he said in second corinthians 4 and verse 7 and following but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of god 
and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Paul says, here's your reality check. This is my experience as an apostle, as a servant of God. I know what it means to be hard-pressed and yet not be crushed. I know what it means to be perplexed, but yet not in despair. I know what it's like to experience persecution, yet not be forsaken. I know what it's like to be struck down and yet not be destroyed. And he says the reason for this is so that we might know that the power is from God and not from us, and so that the life of the Lord Jesus Christ might be manifested in our bodies, that Christ would be glorified in us. So we are not exempt in this world that we live in. And the second idea here is that sincere and fervent prayer is how we should respond to the difficulties. Sincere and fervent prayer is how we should respond to the difficulties. Now, this does not happen without effort. When trouble comes, many people turn away from the Lord. The call to us of, from the Holy Spirit and from the Scripture is to turn to the Lord. And in that, our prayers should be sincere. And that's why he cries out to God, Hear my prayer, give ear to my supplications, in your faithfulness answer me, and in your righteousness. We get the vision here in verse 6 of the psalmist spreading out his hands to God. And he said his soul longed for God as though uh, he was in a dry and a thirsty land. And he asked for a sense of urgency in the Lord answering his prayers. Answer me speedily, O Lord, and cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning. He asked for deliverance in verse 9. And he says, in your mercy, cut off my enemies. So here's the point. We will not pray as we should unless we understand our need. We will not pray as God would want us to pray unless we understand our circumstances. And as we pray, our prayer should be in repentance. If it's going to be sincere and fervent prayer, not only does it have to be sincere, but it has to be in repentance. He says in verse 2, Do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no one living is righteous. So all of a sudden he draws the, the parallel here. He says, God, you're the standard. You are the holy one. You are the righteous one. And in your sight, nobody compares. Now there's an interesting nuance in this psalm because at times in the psalms, uh, David appeals to his innocence. He actually appeals to the fact, Lord, look, Lord, I, I don't deserve this. I, I shouldn't be experiencing this situation based on my own actions, and yet these things are happening to me. But many times over, he appeals on the basis of his guilt before God. David was aware of his sins, and he appealed to God's mercy. And as we pray in repentance, 
we should pray in faith. Notice verse 8, for in you do I trust. Now, why can God be trusted? One, because his character is always trustworthy. But then because of his character, he acts in trustworthy ways. And our prayer of faith is communicating to God who he is, our dependence on him, and that we believe that he can do something about our circumstances. As we pray, we should pray in surrender. Notice verse 10, teach me to do your will for you are my God, your spirit is good, lead me in the land of uprightness. The Bible commentator Derek Kidner pointed out that David's three requests for guidance in verses 8 through 10 each have their own nuance. The first, teach me the way in which I should walk, has an individual flavor, showing each of us uh, that the call of God is unique. The second, teach me to do your will, is essentially saying, uh, settle my priorities, Lord. Make sure that I'm on the right track. The third is let your good spirit lead me on level ground. And that speaks of the humility of the one who knows his need of shepherding and not merely of just having the right way pointed out to him. The request for level ground implies the admission that one is prone to stumble and not only to stray. So as we pray, we recognize that knowing and serving God does not deliver us from difficulties. It doesn't make us immune or exempt us from them. Secondly, sincere and fervent prayer is how we respond to these difficulties as we pray in repentance and faith and surrender to God. And then third, prayer in difficulty should have the goal of knowing God. You say, well, is there anything wrong then with praying for relief? No, there's nothing wrong with praying for relief. There are many examples in the Bible of praying to God and calling out to God that he would rescue us from our current situation in desperation. We see it here in Psalm 143 and verse 7. Answer me speedily. So he's got this relationship with the Lord that is so personal and direct that he can say to the Lord, Lord, I need some help and I need it now. And that's the way the Lord wants us to interact with him, that our trust level with him is so great that we're willing to come to him and ask with that sense of urgency. Yet the greater purpose is to know God and to learn more about ourselves as a result, not just get an answer at the moment. Did you know that you can measure your spiritual condition, at least in part, by whether or not your prayer life is centered on, on a desire to know God better and to have a stronger relationship with Him? Let me say that again. You can measure your spiritual condition, at least in part, by whether your prayers are saturated with a desire to grow in your relationship with the Lord and know Him. Verse 5, I meditate on all your works. I muse on the works of 
of your hands. So here's David, and he's saying, God, I need some help in the moment. If you would, please act speedily. There's nobody that's righteous in your sight. You alone are the Holy One. But as I make this request with a sense of urgency, and I'm asking you, God, to do something on my behalf, I'm also just going to meditate on what you've done in the past. Now, I want you to think for a moment and apply this to your own life. Maybe you're going through one of those valleys right now that we all go through, and I don't know what the circumstance is. You know, and the Lord knows. And as you're going through that valley, it's easy to focus only on the dark moment, only on the sense of loss, only on the struggle that you're going through. And maybe the Spirit of God is saying to you, one of the things that would encourage you to help you know that you're going to get out of the valley and you're going to get back up on the mountain again is to remember what God's done for you in the past and where you were before. You see, the Lord is faithful. And there are things in our lives that turn out after being very difficult. They turn out as spiritual markers. They're almost like those mileposts that tell you where you are. Well, you can look back in your life and, and you've got those mile markers that are telling you where you've come from. And each one of those mile markers represents something that God has done to sustain you, to bless you, to love you, to encourage you. And if you meditate on those things, think about those things, then they'll bring encouragement to your life and remind you that he can see you through the current situation that we're in. Now, I don't know about you, but we have a tendency, generally speaking, to be forgetful. We, we don't naturally, in and of ourselves, uh, cultivate a spirit of gratitude. A spirit of gratitude is one of the clearest signs in our Christian faith of our understanding of what God has done for us. And if we're forgetful and we're not cultivating that gratitude in our lives and we're not remembering what God has done in our lives, then we may miss out on the blessing. We can look back and see what God has done in the Bible, what God has done in history, what God has done in our own individual lives. And we can say, God, we know that you can be trusted and we're going to look to you for our strength. David says, I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. Here's the image that that places in my mind, that illustration that he gives, I spread out my hands to you. I think about a little child coming to their parent, loving their parent, with an expectation that when they reach up their arms to their parent, that their parent's going to pick them up and embrace them and hold them. This is the idea here we get of our Father. That when we reach up to Him, He embraces us, and He holds on to us, and He sees us through the crisis, the tribulation, the trouble, and He's faithful to get us to the other side. And He says, for I lift up my soul to you, in verse 8. I think we often ask, Lord, why is this happening to me now? And that's a valid question. 
But we ought to also ask uh, in another way, how can I know you better, Lord, and how can I understand myself better, Lord, in the midst of this? Now verse 11 says, Revive me, O Lord, for your namesake. I want us to think about this phrase uh, here in verse 11 as I come toward a close of our time of devotion. Revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake. The word revive carries with it in part a meaning of, of breath, of God breathing in and giving life, sustaining life, renewing life. And here, that's what he's praying for. Earlier in the psalm, David spoke of remembering the days of old and the greatness of the work of God. And now as the psalm ends, he prays uh, for revival. There's an illustration that I read from uh, Philip Ryken's book, When Trouble Comes, and I want to share that with you. He says, this does not always mean that we get a simple satisfying answer from God to all of our questions about suffering. In a 2014 testimony about his experience with a debilitating disease, the former Wheaton College provost, Stan Jones, provided a helpful perspective on all the questions about our suffering that we find it difficult or even impossible to answer. He said, long ago, I read a book about suffering. And the author made a point that I've had to return to time and time again. He said, most of our why questions about suffering are ultimately unanswerable. God does not seem to be in the business of answering the why questions. And most of our philosophical responses to the question of suffering amount to various forms of taking God off the hook for the problem of suffering. But this author pointed out that God doesn't seem to be interested in getting off the hook. In fact, the answer of God in Jesus Christ to the problem of suffering is not to get off the hook at all, but rather to impale himself on the hook of human suffering with us in the very midst of our suffering. And then he says this, When trouble comes and places a giant question mark over our existence, we should remember Jesus and the cross. We should remember Jesus and the cross. So as we say to God, as the psalmist did, hear my prayer. We understand what type of prayer that is. One that is motivated by a relationship with God. One that has a proper worldview of suffering and redemption and restoration. And one that is plainly and determinedly focused on Jesus Christ who bore our suffering that we might be reconciled to God. I hope that you're applying these principles to your own prayer life. And I hope that as you apply these principles to your prayer life that we've been learning in the Psalms, 
that God would build your confidence in him and that he would bring peace and encouragement and hope and endurance to your soul because you're looking to him for what you need. He is able. Let's bow our heads together for a moment as we pray. God, I'm grateful once again for the lessons about prayer in this psalm. Lord, we have poured over several psalms here in recent weeks that have given us such strong admonitions about how to pray, not so much by principle, but as by example. And I pray that we would be able to apply these examples and that we, when we look back in the past, we can look in the Bible and we can look in history and we can look in our own lives and we can say with resounding confidence, God, you are faithful and you can be trusted. And that kind of trust from the past would be applied to our lives in the here and now. And Lord, I pray that whatever folks are dealing with, even now as we pray, that they would bring those specific needs before you knowing that you care and you answer. And for that, we say thank you. Lord, as we enter in again to a uh, coordinated time of prayer with these simple devotions that we're going to include from the Daily Bread Ministry devotional and also a weekly opportunity for fasting, I pray that our spiritual strength would uh, increase our understanding of you would grow. Our encouragement of one another would be enriched. And that as a result of it, we'd all be stronger in our faith. For your glory, for the work of your kingdom, and for the sake of lost souls that don't yet know you. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Thank you again for joining with us, and I look forward to seeing many of you in person on Sunday and many of you online as well. Uh, Lord bless you.